Uh, we have a lot of people traveling. I see uh, we have uh, some visitors as well. The holidays are always interesting. So let's engage each other, uh, get our faith on, turn to somebody that you don't know very well, and give them uh, a Christmas high five. And the tradition of Yuletide greetings. It's like, yeah, you made it. We're doing it. And it's Christmas. Not my greatest Christmas experiment ever. So we'll do a warm-up question. Uh, get your uh, your brain juices flowing. Uh, obviously, I've been thinking about different elements in the Christmas story, different characters in the Christmas story that we read in Scripture. Uh, my favorite characters uh, are uh, the Magi, uh, the wise men. Well, I mean, I, I, I guess I'd have to say that Jesus is my favorite character, right? Because you got to say that. Um, but uh, as far as like... Uh, the cast members, uh, I, I love the Magi. And I was thinking about this question this week. I submit it to you for warm-up this morning. If you were a modern-day wise person, whatever that means to you, you're one of those, you're a modern-day Magi, and you were interested in finding God, finding, about, finding out about the truth of God, something like that, what would you do to search you're just, a, you're just some smart person out in the world, and you're like, I wonder about God. I wonder about truth. Uh, what, what would you do to search? Where would you look? What kind of things would you pursue? I'll give you eight, fec- eight seconds to think about it and be brilliant. Think, 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 and then we'll compare a few answers. What would you do to search? What would you do? All right, Sarani's got one. You'd read, you'd read the Bible. This is a wise person you've heard that that might, be a, that might be a source of some wisdom. That might give you some clues about God. All right, read the Bible. Maybe read some other ancient texts. There's you know, stuff out there, traditions. If you knew nothing, you might start there. All right, great. What else? YouTube. 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 <laughs> because these days, wise people don't really read all that much, do they? And you know. Yeah. What else? Erica. Someone that seems wise. You'd find a fellow wise person, maybe someone who might, might be a little wiser than you, might know a little more than you, and you'd start interviewing. Good invest, investigative journalism right there. All right, what else? What would you do to search? Risky, because it may take a long time to get an answer. Yep. Ask a child. Ask a child. <laughs> Interesting. Why would you ask a child? They give it unfiltered. Because they're at least going to tell you what they think honestly. Interesting. So I mean, there's a certain logic there uh, in that uh, maybe the best wisdom is innate. And uh, the problem with those of us who have gotten older is that we filter, we pile on top of wisdom, uh, too much other junk uh, from culture, obligation, stuff like that. All right, one more. I know somebody out there has the best answer. Uh, what is it? If you were a modern-day Magi, what would you do to search? June? You'd attend a church. Great answer. <laughs> Great answer. And that's what all of you uh, have done today. Maybe there are some wise people out there. Maybe some magi. Look to your left and right and see. Are you a magi? Are you a magi? Are you a magi? Yeah, which begs the question, what is a magi? But we'll leave that for the Christmas quiz at tonight's uh, Christmas Eve uh, service. Um, what would you expect? 
from your search? This is a slightly different question. So you actually have to think about this a little bit more. How would you expect the search to go, say, if it were successful, if it were being successful? How, how would you expect your search for God and truth to develop? How would you, how would you know that things were going okay? Anybody? Yeah, Al? It would be confirmed by? Events, witnesses, like whatever was, you know, if you're looking for God and you're seeking him, like he will show up, he will, he will say, like his, 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 his presence is evident. So there'd be events, there'd be witnesses, there'd be, there'd be evidence well, I mean, the underlying logic there is like, well, if there is a God, right, if there is such a thing as truth, if there's a true God and you are pursuing him, then along the way, you would expect some things to click, right? You would expect some evidence, some, some signs uh, or signposts along the way. Uh, that's great. Would you expect human help on your path? Honest answer. Would you trust human sources? Would you expect God's help along the way? What would you expect? It's an interesting question for me because I think people um, often have a vague answer about the search for God. You know, if you, if you ask some random person, hey, do you believe in God? What are they going to say? What's, what's the popular answer? Yes? I don't know. It's the popular answer. The popular, what's that? Higher power, this is the popular answer in one way, shape, or form. Uh, I ask this question a lot to a lot of people, and almost always people will say, you know, people who aren't like in church pursuing God will say, oh, I believe there's something out there, dot, 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 right? Um, Which always, uh, I've been doing this for years and years, always aggravates me a little bit because I think this, you know, I think, and you're doing what about that, right? Because obviously this is the most important question in all existence, right? Because if there is a creator God, that is one fact, and there are very few facts like these, but that is one fact that affects everything else in life, right? That is one of those things that is truly, universally, omnipotently influential. And so if you actually believe, oh, there's something out there, then the follow-on question will be like, okay, well then, what's the search like, right? Tell, tell me about the search, tell me about the pursuit, tell me about the path, because obviously you should have one, but of course, people typically don't, right? Which tells me that actually there are few wise men, <laughs> right? There are a lot of people, there are few wise people, uh, there are a lot of coasters and very few uh, magi. Um, and the simple question is, well, you know, what, what would you do to look if you think there's a, a possibility? That's one of the reasons I love the magi in the story. Let's read uh, from the scripture story, a little segment that we haven't read yet this Christmas season from uh, the opening verses of Matthew chapter 2, the story of Christmas, what we think of the story of Christmas, is told in two of the Gospels. Um, Well, three, kind of. Um, John tells the story of the creation of Christ, but in a very poetical way. 
Mark doesn't mention it, but Matthew and Luke have all the details. Uh, and Matthew chapter 2 tells the story, the visit of the Magi. Uh, Matthew 2, 1 through 12. You can read along in the big board behind me or follow along in your Bibles on your smartphone. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, we already read that part of the story last week, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to uh, Jerusalem and asked, they went, so went to the capital city of Israel, and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. That's their introduction. Uh, these magi come uh, from some foreign place. They show up at the capital and they say, uh, so where's the new king? Uh, we know he was born and we've come to pay him respect. When King Herod, who was sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Uh, by tradition, there are three magi uh, that's because three gifts are listed, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But in fact, it was probably a huge entourage because the entire city was aware of it. The whole city was disturbed. Uh, so all of Jerusalem is like, what? There's a new king born? Is this the Messiah? When Herod called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, I love that phrase, the people's chief priests. The reason they say it that way is because Herod was not considered a real Jew. So the chief priests were not his priests, right? It's a little insult they get in there on Herod. He was Jewish, but not, not, not an observant Jew. But when the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born, he didn't know. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of his people, uh, from an Old Testament book uh, called Micah. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. Uh, he starts scheming. He calls them secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. The star appeared in the sky. These magi traveled from a foreign place, probably Persia, probably a distance of around 500 miles. So it would have taken them months to get there. And so he said, you saw this sign when? He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. If you're so smart, go find him. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. <laughs> we know the rest of the story. He doesn't want to worship him. What does he want to do? He wants to kill him because uh, Herod is a cheap king looking to kill rivals. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. They go off to Bethlehem. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. It was a sign. They were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, 
they returned to their country by another route. They did not report to Herod because they had a dream, a prophetic dream that said this guy is up to no good. Interesting fellows. And that's the end of their story. They never appear again. We don't know where uh, they were before exactly. We don't know what happened to them afterwards. But they were the one people, the one group of people in the entire saga who, uh, who caught it, who got it right. All the prophecies that were given about the birth of Christ in the Old Testament, and there were literally hundreds, and these were the only people that actually were on point. They were like, all right, well, we're following along, and, and we saw a sign in the heavens, and we're looking for God and the truth of God. Um, every once in a while when I talk about the Magi, which I do most every year, I, I tell uh, the backstory, the reason that people think they were from Persia is because they, they said it came, they came from the east, so the Transjordan region, and out there is Iraq and Iran. And uh, that's where all the great uh, ancient empires were, including the empire of Persia, uh, Babylon, the Medes had their headquarter there. And um, so this is, this is the probable story of the Magi. This is the one explanation that I or anyone else can come up with is why they were on point and they were on the scene looking for Jesus. These guys probably served in the courts of Persia where also served um, uh, about 500 years earlier a guy named Daniel. Uh, who has a prophetic book in the Bible. And Daniel, uh, in chapter 9 of his book, you will read this very famous prophecy that he gave about the coming anointed one, the coming Messiah. And this prophecy is famous because it's really mathematical. It's called the prophecy of the 70 weeks or the 70 units of seven. And if you follow along, I won't go through it all today. Uh, And you do the math. um, he, He dates the the coming of the Messiah for you. He says, from the time that the king of Persia gives the command to rebuild Jerusalem, uh, the Jews were in exile at the time and Jerusalem lay in ruins. From the time the command goes out until the coming of the promised one, there's gonna be 69 weeks, which is 69 units of seven. So you go 69 times seven, and that gives you the number of years. The Hebrew years were lunar, uh, not solar, so they had only like 300 days and not 365 days, but you do the math and it turns out to like roughly 180,000 days. And, um, and it predicts, because uh, we know when the command to rebuild Jerusalem went out, that's actually recorded in history. It predicts uh, that the Messiah will come to Jerusalem. It talks about Jerusalem specifically um, in the early years AD, uh, right when this guy Jesus of Nazareth was alive, which is really a phenomenal prediction. And these guys, uh, having been well-versed in the prophecies of Daniel, because Daniel was the most famous magi in Persia in ancient history, we are told, uh, they would have been devotees to his ancient texts. Saranya said, well, read the Bible. That's supposed to be good. That would be a good way to find God. Well, what they did is they read their text. They read the portion of the Bible that they had, which was the printed version of Daniel. It may actually have been the first written down uh, compended portion of the Bible uh, because the compendium of this book didn't exist until the Jews left exile and went back to Jerusalem. And then they recorded all of their oral traditions and their 
scraps of printed chronicles and stuff like that. Anyway, so they knew uh, something uh, important was supposed to go down in the first century AD, and then one night they were gazing at the stars because if you're from that tradition, you look for God in places that you think are significant. That's why I said, well, where would you search? You know, and they thought the skies were significant as almost every ancient culture in the world did. And they saw a strange phenomenon in the sky and people argue, was it a supernova? Uh, was it a comet fragment and stuff like this? We don't know, but it didn't belong there. And so when they saw it, they thought, well, this might be a sign. This Messiah dude is supposed to come about this time. Let's follow that sign. And so they took off. Um, they would have known to look in Jerusalem anyway from the prophecies, so that's where, where they showed up. The real significance of the sign in the heavens is that when they left Jerusalem, headed toward Bethlehem, the star led them directly to the house where Jesus, the baby, was. He probably wasn't a little baby like in the crush scenes. At this point, he was probably over a year old, 18 months old, up to two years old. We know this because Herod, when they didn't go back to him, he freaked out and he killed every baby in the region under the age of two. He wasn't a newborn, um, so did this infanticide in order to kill the Messiah. What a piece of work he was, huh? Uh, so that's their backstory. Um, I love that, that they were looking. You know, if you want to be a wise person, you have to look, and I've given sermons about that before. Really, one of the Maybe my favorite thing about the Magi and their appearance in this story and their significance in it, because they get the better part of the chapter, is that they were completely unnecessary to the story. Tons of things about Jesus' birth, as we have discussed over the past several weeks, were predicted centuries before by Old Testament prophets. Certain things needed to be fulfilled, like he needed to be born in the region of Bethlehem, like the prophet Micah predicted. And all of these things came through in the life of this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. So that's kind of freaky. The Magi were never predicted. Um, you know, so it's not really an important part of the story. Matthew wrote his gospel to the Jews in the region of Antioch, Syrian Jews. Uh, and most of Matthew's particularly the early portions of his book, are about Old Testament prophecies and how Jesus fulfilled them because he wanted to prove to religious Jews that Jesus really was the Messiah that they had waited for. Uh, but, the, but he, he veers off his normal course in the Magi story and just tells you something that was merely interesting uh, but not necessary. Um, and yet... They left this indelible mark on world history, didn't they? They were basically extras in the movie, right? They weren't even cast actors. They just showed up. And I just love that, because I often feel that way in life. You, you guys ever feel that way? It's like, you know, there are some people that have, like, their roles have been determined since ancient times. You know, they're born into it. They're major actors on the world scene. Maybe some of you feel like that, no? Maybe not many of you. And then a lot of us just feel like extras in the movie. Am I right? And these guys are extras in the movie, but you know, as I am told by my thespian friends, and I have lots of them, there are no small roles. <laughs> there are just small actors. 
Uh, and these guys, you know, playing this extra role. Uh, they're this small part, but they, man, they just played it large, you know. They were like, hey, this is important. I will risk my life and travel through the wilderness for five months to go see if this is actually true. I will do this to see if maybe there's a connection, right? Maybe there's a little bit of evidence. Maybe, maybe there's some significance here because, I don't know, I kind of believe that there's something out there. And they leaned into that. And I will do whatever it takes to understand it better, to shape my life accordingly. And it's just the perfect picture of what it means to be a seeker what it means to be a searcher in life. And they did what they could to search. They searched the ancient texts because that's what they had around them. And they searched the skies. They searched creation, you know. And when you search, wherever you look, you're going to find something, right? Because if there is a God, then there is a path. There is a way to find him. And, and they just typify that in a way that's absolutely glorious. Uh, and they just decided to be that, God didn't call them to be that, as far as we know. Their job was just to be smart. And that's what it meant for them to be smart people, you know. Anyway, they find him, and then they have a second question. Well, if you find this guy, this, this promised one of God, this special dude, this, this uh, God-man, uh, what do you bring him? I mean, what's, what's, what's the proper way to approach God? Uh, or uh, you can think about it this way. What would you bring baby Jesus on his birthday, his actual birthday, if you had an inkling of who he was? Let's say he was born today. It's like, oh, this guy, I think this guy is the guy. What would you bring him? I'll give you eight seconds to be brilliant on that one. You would give him a baby? All right, what would you bring him? What would you bring him? And nobody be quoting the little drummer boy song at me. No, no, that is, does not count. What would you bring him? What would be the way of deciding what to bring him? Diapers. Yeah. Disposable diapers, because he's Jesus. Yeah. Diapers? What else? My wife makes these little onesies. You probably have a onesie for Jesus. They usually say, like, uh, life is swell, but... I would insist there be some sort of pun about walking on water. <laughs> Life is swell. Walk the swell, surf the swell, someone. Anybody? Would you bring a gift to him or to his family? How would you think about it? Yeah. Oh, Erwin's going to bring him an iPhone. You're gonna bring you're gonna bring wine to his parents, and you're gonna bring Jesus the latest iPhone. It's like gold incense. 
You like that? Yeah. Give something to the parents to help raise him. All right, that's interesting. You got any ideas? High chair. Yeah. Shelter. Be shelter. Yeah. What makes this question really interesting for me is because it's like, what, like what tack do you take on it? Do you provide for him? Do you protect him? Uh, do you empower his family? Do you glorify him? Do you worship him? Do you elevate him? Do you hide him? And all of, all of that sort of subsumes this question. It's like, you don't know what you're going to find. And I think that's part of searching for God. You don't necessarily know what you're going to find. And, and one of the glorious things about the story of the birth of Jesus and the thing that all of humanity really loves about the birth of Jesus is that the birth of Jesus was not at all what you would expect to find at the end of your search for God. You'd find this little baby in this podunk town in wretched conditions, born to poor people, uh, you know, hunted by the political powers of the day. You know, it's like all of this stuff is like, that is not the script that you would have expected. So now there's two things going against you. One, you're just an extra in the drama. And two, it's like nobody's following the script here, right? And so you have to be nimble. And uh, these magi just brought, you know, convertible resources. They brought gold, they brought incense, they brought myrrh, like uh, really valuable things. It's, like, it's kind of like bringing an iPhone. It's like, well, everybody loves this you know, or wine. It's the universal gift. It's what you bring to a party when you don't know what to bring to a party. Uh, and cash is good too. Um, so, you know, what do you expect from meeting God? It's like, how would you look for God? And then what do you expect from meeting God? And you just have to, you have to improvise. Uh, and that's what these guys get. You know, they, they sort of did the best that they could. Uh, they expected, uh, probably to find him near the throne in Jerusalem. Instead, they found him uh, in some cheap house somewhere in the outskirts of Bethlehem, probably, um, where they had uh, put down roots, at least temporarily, uh, because Herod tried to kill them, and then we know that his family had to flee to Egypt and hide from the law for a number of years. Um, And then they improvised their way home having been warned in a dream, because here's the thing about seekers. Seekers are really easy to guide. You know, if you're a seeker, then God can shape your life really easily. If you're not a seeker, then you're always trusting on, I don't know, politicians or something. Um, They get warned by a dream as if God himself were truly guiding them. Um, Then there's a third question about the Magi that always interests me, and we'll leave it here today. what do you suppose they did after? They went home by another way, so they go back to the courts of Persia where they were uh, essentially university professors. Uh, they had tenure because they, uh, they researched the questions that actually interested them, uh, like, is there a God? Um, so uh, they went back to work. What, what do you suppose their life was like? They went on this journey, this adventure, this life-risking adventure. They actually found what they were looking for. They found confirmation of the prophecy, but it was not what they thought it would be. And then they were warned by God himself to go, like, it's clear that they have had an encounter with the Holy One of God here. And then they go to work on Monday. What do you suppose their life was like after this? 
Come on, wise guys. Their lives change. You would figure that they would change somehow, yeah? They were filled with hope and joy because because the Messiah had come. They would be at peace. They would know that there were answers out there. Yeah. Their life is completed. They just go home and retire. They would spread the word. They would, that there's actually some evidence that they did that. Um, they would spread the word. Yeah, Michael? They would wonder what happens next. They would wonder what happens next, which is an interesting answer because after their search found the, the, uh, the promised one, after they found that it was true, then every search leads to another search, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, one of those now what searches. So one would assume that, that they would be changed. One would assume that they would have some measure of peace and joy. What they learned was that there is an answer out there, that there's something going on behind the curtain. But that might not have been all the answers that they needed to live their life. And that's the problem with following after God, right? You can find him, but then you're like, and yet I'm still here. You know, and I still do have to go to work on Monday or whatever it is that you do during the week. And, and they're just other searches, right? Other, other issues, other ministry opportunities. Now, you have to spread the word. Now, you have to help other people on their searches. Uh, we don't know, uh, but it's a good meditation for uh, what it means to be wise uh, in this world. Uh, where there might actually be a creator God whose purposes are bubbling up through history. Spiritual life is always this combination of searching and finding and offering, you know, and then, and then waiting, which is to say responding. Maybe it's active waiting. But I'm sure one of the things they said when they went back to their, uh, their courts in Persia was, uh, well, what happens now, right? And they had to have asked that question. What happens now? What develops at this point? And if they were good searchers, they pushed boundaries, right? They tried things. These were not guys to just sit on their butts and read books, right? These were guys that got up and did things uh, when they felt like there was an opportunity to be had. So active waiting, but they were waiting to see what would develop. And that too is the attitude of, of a searcher. Uh, what, what section of the journey are you in, uh, by the way? Mostly in your life right now. Are you in the searching part? Are you in the finding part? Are you in the offering part? You're figuring out what, what you have to contribute uh, to the purposes of God in the world. Are you in the waiting slash responding part? Which part are you in mostly? How many say, well, I'm in the searching part? One or two. Uh, finding, you're like, oh, I feel like every day is a new discovery sort of thing. Offering, a few of you. Offering, waiting waiting to see what happens next, looking for the next piece of, of the vision. It's always something like that. And, and for my money, um, these things often always happen at once because like once you become a searcher, a seeker in life, you never leave that skill behind, right? You could be following God hard for 50 years and in your 51st year, you're still seeking after more of God, more wisdom uh, about God, um, answers for the next challenge that you have in life because 
things don't become perfect overnight. So having searched, we all become lifelong searchers. I mean, unless we quit. Unless we quit, because that's always a possibility. Having found God in some form, which is to say having become a finder, uh, then you become a believer. And if you become a believer, hopefully you become a trier, right? As we say around blue water, faith means trying. Um, and, and that means you're always going to be finding new situations. You're always going to be making new discoveries. Um, having offered yourself to God or your resources to God, your life or your time or your relationships to God, whatever sacrifice that you make for him, the Lord, um, you find that you're going to have to make sacrifices again next week. Next month, you're going to have to offer uh, another thing or the new thing, right? And, and that becomes really interesting because whatever you sacrifice for God, he makes powerful for you, which is one of our blue water proverbs. So if you give something up, um, it, it will develop something in you. It will change you somehow. And then you'll have something else to give away. And, you know, love is mostly sacrifice. We lit the love candle today and how we talked about being a parent and raising her children. Well, there's a sacrificial pursuit, raising kids, that none of us who have done it would trade for anything in the world, right? Because we get so much back from it and it changes us a lot uh, in good ways. Having experienced all of those things, then we wait to see what's next, you know, on this journey this journey of wise people uh, in the world. Or, or again, you know, we decide to give up because life is hard and the journey is far. I'm always searching for things. Like, I'm always searching for his presence. Uh, I'm always searching for uh, a necessary solution to one of my life challenges. Hopefully, I'm finding it, finding more of his presence, finding more of his solutions, finding new answers to new problems. And I'm always making my response as best I can in life. Um, best as I, I can at the moment anyway. And then I'm always waiting to see how my adventure is going to turn out. And what I've learned is that it never turns out exactly like I think. You know, I walk into the halls of power in Jerusalem and I do not find God there. I end up in the outskirts in some podunk town feeling lonely and displaced and there I find God. Uh, apparently as displaced as I am. Uh, and I'm just seeing, man, where is this going to go? Where is this going to go? I feel like a magi. Um, that's why I love this so much, although I never got tenure. So much in life is, is uh, as Sonia and I often say, uh, so much of life is, is what the shampoo bottle says. Lather, rinse, repeat. Search, find, respond, wait. Search, find, respond, uh, wait. And perpetually uh, I'm Agile. And in life, you know, I'm trying so hard to be wise. I'm trying so hard to be uh, a wise man, uh, which means I look for God in all the places I think might be significant. You know, do I search the skies for signs of God? Wayne? This is my astronomy buddy. This is my cosmology buddy. You bet I search the sky for I'm constantly reading about 
uh, the new things that the latest telescope has found in the universe about the creation of the universe, and we're just discovering tremendous stuff. Like we don't, the more we understand about how the universe was made, the more we understand that we don't understand about how the universe was made. And there's never been more evidence for a creator, and I just find that delightful. Do I study ancient texts to find signs of God? Yeah, well, of course I do. I mean, there's the Bible, which I have read on occasion. Uh, but man, I study like all the ancient lore. One of, one of the hobbies that we share at my house, we talk about around the dinner table, is like ancient legends and ancient civilizations and their traditions of God. The most ancient tradition of God that anybody can find in the world is the tradition of, in Europe he became called Theos, um, from which we get the word Deus, you know, God. Uh, the one true sky god was his old name. Like, you know, uh, this is an expression of people's relationship with God, but evidence of, of the creator God exists in cultures and ancient texts and legends and lore and monuments. And, and if you're a wise person, I don't care if you're in a Christian church or the courts of Persia, you will find signs to follow. And I just love that. I'm always searching for God there. Um, I'm searching for God in history, and I love the history of God's people and the church, and even in politics, I will occasionally ask Herod what he thinks is going on. I don't get a good answer. Um, but you can see the purposes of God at play in the political dramas of the age. Uh, I guarantee that. I used to study political science uh, for a, a living. And um, like the Magi, um, I just feel like some extra in the story. I feel like life is a big drama, and I'm just trying to find my way into it. But if I'm wise, I think that I can make a mark in the story. I think I can make a mark in the world. I think that if I'm wise, then my bit of the story will be worth telling, right? Even if it doesn't seem prophesied and destined and grand like some of the other parts of the story. Uh, so one final question as we prepare for the celebration of Christmas Eve tonight and Christmas morning tomorrow, uh, the coming of the Christ child, how might you make a mark on the Christmas story? Oh, fellow wise people, what's the best way to leave a mark? And if this story suggests anything to us, it's that the best way to leave a mark will involve you searching after God. I mean, like, really searching after God, not just being one of those mamby-pamby, milquetoast people. It's like, yeah, I think there might be something out there. Now, let me think about my career or my relationships or my hobbies. No, I mean, you have to search. Where? Well, in the places that seem likeliest to you. And there are a lot of great sources out there that you must try. Search! And your life will get interesting. I guarantee it, right? I guarantee it. Even if you feel like you're just an extra in the play, you know, it will be interesting. You will discover things. You'll discover evidence. You'll have to make responses. And suddenly you'll find that you yourself are a magi, you know, from which we get the word magical. Like amazing things happen. And we love that about Christmas, don't we? Uh, and I hope that you're finding a lot of life uh, in it. Make a mark. Search. Have an effect on the people around you. Disturb an entire city if you want. Go home and get busy. 
Father God, I thank you for the revelation of the Christ child, and I thank you uh, that you always reveal yourself to anyone who searches in most any way. The main elements of the Christmas story is that God is there to be found by searchers in surprising ways. Period. That is the Christmas story. God is always there to be found by searchers in surprising ways. I love that, Lord. Oh, I love it so much. And I celebrate it. And I pray, Lord, that some way we might all get caught up in that story and make a mark. Something worth remembering. Uh, this Christmas, this year, in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody says...